Indeed, redemption is a Christmas word. I need to start by defining redemption. It's a theological word. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's lifeblood. Again, redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's lifeblood. Christmas was God himself walking into that slave marketplace to initiate that marvelous purchase. The Old Testament prophet Hosea was directed by God to marry a wife who would for certain become unfaithful to him. In Hosea chapter 3, Hosea's wife was so mired in her sin that she was working the streets as a prostitute who happened to be for sale eventually in a, mar- in a marketplace for slaves. Hosea 3, 1 to 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be toward you. Even as Hosea, the wayward wife, was put up for sale in the slave marketplace, and Hosea was commanded of God to go into that marketplace and to pay the price to buy his own wife back to a life of redemption, to a life of purity. This is a picture, a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ being born to live and to die on the cross and so doing to enter the slave marketplace of sin that all of us were bound and arrested and held within. The first Christmas, again, was God himself walking into the slave auction to initiate his purchase of sinners, rebels like us, with his own shed blood. There are four New Testament Greek words, which I want to tell you about this morning, because they all have to do with the Christmas word of redemption. And these four Greek words of the New Testament throw beautiful light on the diamond of redemption from different angles and perspectives. The first Greek word is lutrau. Lutrau is redemption's goal Redemption's goal. And in 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19, it says this, If you address as father, one who impartially judges according to each, each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This is the act of setting free or liberating slaves. We need to know that when 1 Peter was first read by its original readers and the Roman Empire's stranglehold on the globe, there were approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so when 1 Peter speaks of this lutruo, 
This goal of redemption, this setting free, this liberating of slaves, oh, I'm sure that the first readers of 1 Peter understood exactly the beauty of all of that. But you know, we were slaves in the marketplace of sin as well until we were redeemed. This act of setting us free required nothing short of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Again, the same passage in 1 Peter 3, excuse me, 1. If you confess the Father as one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so we need to remember again the definition of redemption we've started with this morning. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's shed blood. The second Greek word relative to redemption, the Christmas word, is ag, agarazo. Agarazo. This second Greek word has to do with redemption's method. Agarazo has to do with redemption's method. And in Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This agarazo is the act of going into the marketplace with the express purpose of purchasing. You know, some of us, all of us, many of us will be purchasing Christmas presents if we haven't already done so. And unless we enter into a place or method by which we can purchase those presents, they aren't purchased. And so they tell us nowadays to click, phone, or to drop in to transact. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem expressly to enter the slave marketplace so that he could buy us out of it. Why do retailers mail out expensive, glossy color catalogs? Why do pop-up ads assail us when we are on the Internet? Why do stores buy sponsored links on Google search engine? Because they know this basic truth. Until we enter the store by foot, web page, or phone, we can't buy a single thing from them. We can praise God this morning that for the agarazzo of Christmas, Jesus Christ was willing to enter right into the slave marketplace to transact, although he himself was free and clear. And so please remember with me, our definition of redemption. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Jesus Christ's life's blood. So far we have seen two things, two Greek words in the New Testament relative to redemption. Lotrau, which is redemption's goal, setting free. And then agarazo, redemption's method, to go into the marketplace to purchase us. And now we come to the third 
Greek word that's related to redemption, and it's almost like agorazo, but it's ex-agorazo, the prefix ex on agorazo. Ex-agorazo, ex means exit or out of. Agorazo is the marketplace. Therefore, ex-agorazo is to exit, to be removed out of the marketplace. To exit or to be moved out of the marketplace. This third word for redemptions speaks of redemption's permanence. Redemption's permanence. Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Yes, ex-agarazzo has to do with redemption's permanence. And this act of being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin means that we never have to return to that marketplace again. Ex-agarazzo. The act of purchasing sinners out of the marketplace, never ever to have to return to that marketplace again. Some stores we deal with this Christmas season have a policy, all sales are final. By that they mean you buy it, <laughs> you cannot return it for any reason. There is a sign there was a sign hanging over the noisy and jammed and dirty and lewd slave marketplace that we were all up for sale within, and the sign read, All Sales Final. The permanence of redemption. The Lord Jesus knew that policy, and he willingly, lovingly bought you to take you out of that slave marketplace such that you never have to return to it again. Redemption, then, includes getting us out of the marketplace in a permanent way. So far, we've seen three of the New Testament's Greek words that have to do with redemption. Lutrau, that's redemption's goal, the setting of us free. Agarazzo, that's redemption's method, going into the marketplace to purchase us. Ex agarazzo is redemption's permanence, getting us permanently out of that slave marketplace. And the fourth and final, at least for this study, Greek word to do with redemption is apalutrosis. Apalutrosis. This fourth word has to do with redemption's extent. Redemption's extent. And we turn to Romans 3, 
verses 21 to 24, to understand the extent of your redemption and mine. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Apolutrosis, again to review, is redemption's extent. Still in Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25 on this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Still with apolutrosis, the extent of redemption, we go to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Still with apolutrosis, st stressing redemption's extent, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The extent of your redemption, the extent of Christ lovingly purchasing you out of the slave marketplace of sin such that you never have to return to that slave marketplace again, stresses in the verse like, verses I just read in Ephesians 1 that, there, that we are... Christ's possession. He's bought us with his blood. And not only that, we are secure in that purchase. All sales were final. It's like a registered piece of mail. If you put a letter into a registered piece of mail, you pay extra to have it posted to the person you want to be the recipient of that letter. And that person, when they go to the post office, if there was a post office open to go to, 
would have to present photo ID. Photo ID proof that they, in fact, are the recipient of that piece of registered mail. Do you know what redemption is like? That from eternity past, God the Father chose us for salvation. And he, from eternity past, put us in a self-addressed envelope. He puts you in a self-addressed envelope. God the Father did. And when Jesus Christ purchased you, the extent of that purchase of the slave marketplace of sin makes it possible that you in that registered mail envelope will arrive safely in heaven, every one of us. God the Father sees to it. No one can break the seal on that registered mail envelope that has you as a redeemed person within it. No one, not even you. Marvelous, the extent of redemption. Jude 24 and 25, that beautiful benediction at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forever. Amen. And so what are we seeing? We're seeing that redemption is a Christmas word. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's life's blood. We're seeing that the first of four words to do with redemption in the New Testament is lutru'u, redemption's goal, setting us free. Agarazzo, redemption's method, going into the marketplace to purchase us. Ex-agarazzo, uh, redemption's permanence, getting us not out of the marketplace temporarily, but getting us out of the marketplace permanently. And apolutrosis, redemption's extent, guaranteeing the redeemed ultimate total transformation when we see Christ through rapture or physical death, that we would be made to be like Jesus. The extent of redemption. Now, while we are on this wonderful, magnificent theological term and work called redemption, and seeing that that word is a Christmas word, I want to quickly give you the Old Testament requirements of a kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ could only go into that slave marketplace of sin because he was the fulfillment of the kinsman redeemer concept in the Old Testament. Remember Boaz? Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is the supreme, perfect, and ultimate kinsman redeemer. What does it mean to be a kinsman redeemer? Very quickly, by Jewish law, not any Tom, Dick, or Harry could redeem, even if he wanted to redeem. And our Lord Jesus Christ came not to abolish the Old Testament law, but to fulfill it. And there are four Old Testament qualifications for every kinsman redeemer. You ready? Quickly. Number one, the kinsman redeemer had to be a close relative of the slave to be purchased. Christ, in his humanity, is our close relative. Hebrews 2, 14 to 17. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to his angels, 
but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, that satisfactory payment for sin, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. And so in the first place, a kinsman redeemer of the Old Testament had to be a close relative. Jesus Christ is our close relative based on his humanity. Son of man was the most favorite term that Jesus used of himself. Son of man. The second qualification of a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament was he had to be in possession of the purchase price required. He had to be in possession of the purchase price that was required for redemption. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ had the necessary price in his own sinless, perfect, untainted blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Dr. Martin DeHaan has been in heaven some years. Medical doctor, started the radio Bible class that still gives us our daily bread. This is what Dr. DeHaan wrote relative to the origin of human blood. I quote, It is now definitely known that the blood which flows in unborn babies' arteries and veins is not derived from the mother, but is produced within the body of the fetus itself only after the introduction of the male sperm. An unfertilized ovum can never develop blood since the female egg does not by itself contain the elements essential for the production of this blood. It is only after the male element has entered the ovum that blood can develop. As a very simple illustration of this, think of the egg of a hen. Unfertilized egg is just an ovum on a much larger scale than the human ovum. You may incubate this unfertilized hen's egg, but it will never develop. It will decay and become rotten, but no chick will result. Let that egg be fertilized by the introduction of the male sperm, and incubation will bring it to light in the presence of the life that is in the egg. After a few hours, it visibly develops. In a little while, red streaks occur in the egg, donating the presence of blood. This can never occur and does never occur until the male sperm has been united with the female ovum. The male element has added life to the egg. Life is in the blood, according to the scripture. For Moses says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. What does this mean? This means with none of Joseph's sperm, there was none of Joseph's sin-tainted blood in Jesus. Rather, there was sinless blood. Blood that could redeem us. Please watch this. Really, Adam and Eve brought blood poisoning 
into the human race. It was Christ's unpoisoned blood that had to interpose for each of us who were totally depraved and in need of redemption. And so the first qualification of a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled that had to be a close relative of the slave, second qualification that Jesus fulfilled, that person had to be in possession of the purchase price required. The third Old Testament qualification for a kinsman redeemer that Jesus Christ fulfilled, that they have to have a willingness to redeem. Christ was willing to die for us. Luke 22, 39 following. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and the sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It was hard on the Lord Jesus. It was a gut-wrenching decision. But he was willing to go to the cross for you and me. Matthew 26, 47 and following. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss is the one season. Immediately Judas went up to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus Christ, fourth qualification, had to be willing. He had to be free from slavery himself. The Lord Jesus Christ was entirely free from slavery to sin. Sinless, perfect. At his baptism, as he came out of the water, an audible voice from heaven states, This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. Sinless Savior, free from slavery himself. 
Christ, as free, a free man, came to redeem us as bound and enslaved people so that he might free us. Many years ago now, when I was still in high school and college, I used to work in a retail sporting goods store. And sometimes I was on the floor assisting customers, and other times I worked at the cash register. And when it came to credit card sales, in the R store at least, only the card holders were free to transact. The card holders' spouses or friends or family couldn't transact with the card holder's credit card, even if they said they had permission. That's a good policy here in the Bahamas. You have to show a photo ID to use a credit card. That's an excellent policy. So you had to be free to use that credit card. It had to be your credit card. But more than that, not every legitimate credit card holder himself or herself was able to use their credit card in our sporting goods store because not even a legitimate cardholder in some cases was free to use their own card. Why? Because if the purchase exceeded the credit card limit, then the purchase was disallowed, denied, even to the legitimate cardholder. The Lord Jesus Christ was entirely free and clear to purchase all of us out of the slave marketplace of sin using his perfect sinless life's blood. So I think you can see with me this morning that redemption is a fantastic Bible doctrine and that redemption is, in fact, a beautiful Christmas word. What have we seen? We have seen together that redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's life's blood. And then we've looked at four Greek words in the New Testament that give us the angles we need to see the beauty of the diamond called redemption. Lutrau, that's redemption's goal, setting us free. Agarazzo, that's redemption's method, going right into the marketplace to purchase us. Ex agarazzo, that is redemption's permanence, getting us out of the marketplace such that we never have to go back into it again. And the fourth word, apolutrosis, this talks about redemption's extent. We are totally redeemed, such that when we see the Lord Jesus Christ physically through rapture or through physical death, we will be made to be like him forever, glorified. Lord Jesus was our kinsman redeemer, is our kinsman redeemer, who was in possession of the required purchase price, who was willing to redeem us while being free and clear to redeem us. It seems to me at the close of this message on redemption being a Christmas word, it seems to me that Psalm 107 verse 2 ought to be the cry of our hearts and the expression of our mouths this beautiful Christmas season. And that's the expression of let the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't keep that magnificent work done for you a secret. Don't live contrary to that redeeming work of Christ. Don't go back into the slave marketplace of sin again. You don't have to. Maybe you could have this challenge. The remainder of this Christmas shopping season and beyond, every time you enter a store by foot, computer, or phone, 
Every time you enter a store, you think about your Lord Jesus Christ entering the dirty, vile, gross, noisy slave marketplace of sin and seeing you on the block for sale and said, I'll buy her. Here's my blood. I'll purchase him. Here's my blood. Oh, Lord Jesus, Redeemer, we praise you now and forever for all that you have done with your blood for us. And we pray in your holy name. Amen.